Hey, if you have your Bibles uh, or your Bible app, you can turn to Isaiah 6 or you can look up at the screen. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning at, at verse 1. The prophet writes, in the year that King Uzziah died, and, and I want us to pause there for a moment because there's a reason for Isaiah recording those seven words, and we'll miss that reason if we just read right over them. You see, Uzziah had been king in Israel for about 52 years. And he was a leader of God's people since he was 16 years old. And so think about it. Most of the people in Judah had only known him as their leader and king. And he was a good king. So this was a time of sorrow and a time of uncertainty throughout the entire nation of Judah. Question. What do God's people need to know and, and what do God's people need to understand when they're going through times of hardship and uncertainty? Answer. They need to know that even in the darkest and most uncertain of times, that God is still seated on his throne. And he's seated because he don't even need to get up, right? He's seated because he's not freaking out. He's seated because he's not worried. Amen? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their eyes, with two they, they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. May God bless the reading of his word. Father God, we acknowledge your presence. And as we acknowledge your presence in this room, we acknowledge the fact that right now, angels are flying around, crying out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with your glory. God, we cannot even begin to imagine how powerful you are. And God, so we humbly come into your presence. We stand in all of you, all of your love and your grace and your mercy. And God, speak to us. God, give us open ears and hearts and minds. Your word is alive and active, and may we respond to it and lean in alive and actively today. And God, may you enable me to speak what you want me to speak to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Maple Grove, let's do this. Since January the 26th, we've been unpacking what it means to get better at what Jesus said matters most. And yeah, if you're doing the math, that was eight weeks ago. And listen, counting today, there's still four more weeks to go. And yeah, I know that a a 12-week sermon series is a pretty significant amount of time. I mean, it's just one week short of being a full quarter of the year 2017. But listen, I'm beyond okay with taking that long and, and attempting not only to understand, but in attempting to 
begin living out what God, when he wore flesh and walked this planet, said were the most important things. And here's the deal. If we don't get better, if you don't get better, if this church doesn't get better at what Jesus says matters most, then what's the point? I mean, why are you here? Why are we even here? Listen, there's nothing more important in your life than getting better at loving God as you should with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and, and loving yourself as he commands, and loving your neighbor as he intends. Nothing, no program, no event, no activity is more important. All the law and all the prophets hinge on these three commandments. And, and our sons, as I said, since week five of this series, I'm 100% convinced, oh my, that getting better at what Jesus says matters most is actually the doorway to you living the life you've always dreamed of living, to you living the life that God, the maker of heaven and earth, created you to live. Beyond the door is a new, better, and fuller life, a life of freedom, a life of inexpressible and glorious joy, a life of contentment in any and every situation, a life of purpose, satisfaction, meaning, wholeness, and fulfillment. And here's the deal. What allows that door to swing open are those three hinges. Loving God is the, loving God is the top hinge. Loving yourself is the middle hinge of that door. And loving your neighbor is the bottom hinge. Now, now we spent the first three weeks of the series talking about you know, that middle hinge, getting better at loving yourself. And, and, and I said time and time again, and I keep repeating this, and I'm going to keep repeating this, right? Because we've got an enemy who likes to chatter in our heads, unless I'm the only one, but I refuse to believe that, right? You know, and, and so to love yourself, right, you must plunge the depths of the Father's love. Man, he loves you more than you can imagine. He sent his son to die for you, right? You must push through insecurity, and we talked about that. You must accept that loving yourself is essential, right? You know, it's not, it's necessary. It's essential. It's not being selfish, right? Sometimes you have to go back in order to go forward, right? You got some stuff in your past you need to deal with sometimes in order to go forward. You need to begin to take 1 Corinthians 13, that great love chapter, that definition, and begin loving yourself that way, using it as a template to love yourself. And you need to accept God's approval of your validation. See, your validation does not come from the world. It doesn't come from the world's applause or the world's approval. You know, if you got that job, that promotion, got into that college, you are no more valid than you were if you did not get that job, get that promotion on that college, right? Because your validation comes from God. Get it? Good. And then we spent three weeks talking about the top hinge, getting better at, at, at loving God. And, and we said that God is worthy of your love because God is great and God is, oh man, he's so good. And we said that going all in and loving him begins with saying yes to God's extravagant proposal to enter into a relationship with you. And it, and it involves enjoying his presence. It involves embracing his passions. 
It involves engaging your personal quest. You see, following Jesus changes everything. Everything. I mean, you could ask Matthew. You could ask Peter, Andrew, James, or Paul. And remember going all in and loving him, saying yes to his proposal, following Jesus. It's a quest, not an adventure. You see, an adventure is a there and back again. It's a there and back again. You choose your adventure, you go have your thrills, you do your thing, you have your excitement, and then you go back home. You go back to the Shire, right, like the Hobbit. You go back home to life where you left it. You go back home to how you lived before. You go back home to what was always had been your agenda and your plans. A quest, on the other hand, is something that you really never come back from. You either die for the quest, or if you do come back, you are so changed by the quest that in a sense you do not come back. You see, Jesus has called you to a quest. He's called you like Paul to, to give up, to crucify, to give up for the sake of Jesus, to crucify your agenda and your plans so that they no longer live. But instead, Christ lives in and through you. And yeah, that's scary, but it's worth it. In the end... And I guarantee it'll be worth it in eternity. And last week we began talking about that bottom hinge, loving your neighbor. And we said that we got to fight that temptation that we all have of, of trying to define our neighbor in, in such a way that it feet, fits nice and neatly around people we already love or people that we are willing to love. So that your neighbor simply becomes people who, are, who look like you who think like you, who act like you, believe like you, vote like you, root for the same team as you. Bottom line, Jesus clearly said in the story of the Good Samaritan, which was the answer to the question, who is this neighbor I'm supposed to love? He clearly answered by saying that your neighbors, anyone that's within your eyesight and your arm's reach that you can love. Basically, Jesus was saying that, that we need to love where we are, Right? And we always are somewhere. And here's what that looks like. You know, here's a little diagram we put together. Love where you are. There's that little, here you are thing, right? And, and, and then it branches out from there, right? And we said last week that you need to love where you are. You need to love your family, um, your people you live with, your relatives, your church family. And it branches out from there. You need to love where you work or go to school. Then you need to love your neighborhood. And then you need to love wherever you go, Right? And that can be anywhere you go, right? A restaurant, a store, you know, across the nation to another country, wherever you go. In the byways and highways, you are to love. Now, for the sake of our discussion, what I've said is we're going to look at four neighbor relationships that if we get better at loving in them, we'll have a huge impact on our lives and on our world. And that is to love your family, to love where you work, and to love your neighborhood. And listen, some of the most, some of the toughest people to love are family members, right? Get a good amen, right? Either family members you live with, family members that come for Thanksgiving, or family members in this room, right? Toughest people to love. Why? Because you know so much about each other, right? And you can't seem to get away from each other, right? Keep showing up at holidays. When you go home, there they are, right? And remember that little 
truth, that little snippet, whatever I gave you last week, that'll help you love difficult family members. And we all got one, right? Raise your hand if you're sitting next to one right now. Just kidding. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun, right? <laughs> hey, dude, I love it. Right. He's just kidding. He, he loves his mom. That's awesome. Uh, God doesn't love you because you're easy to love. He loves you because you need to be loved. So as a result of this incredible love from the Father, uh, you know, I, I see my job, I, I see my role in this is, is, is like this funnel, right? This awesome $3.15 funnel I bought last week at 8.58 p.m. at the auto store before it closed, right? You know, but you see, God wants to pour his love in me and as he pours his love in me, he wants that love just to flow out of me. You know, and the better you get at loving God, and the better you get at letting God love you, automatically, right? It, God just wants to love, his love to flow in you, and his love to flow right on through you to where you live, to the people you live with. Because even though they may not be easy to love, they need to be loved. And here's that definition of love, right? You know it. You know, but love is patient and kind. These are verbs. Love does not envy or boast. It's not proud and does not dishonor others. Some versions say rude. It is not self-seeking or easily angered. Keeps no record of wrongs. Does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Always protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. That's what, it, that's what love is, right? We need to keep that in mind when we're loving our neighbor. And, and Jesus said in John 13, verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be what? Blessed. What? What's the next word? What's it, what is it? Two letters. If, right? In my notes, I've made it like a 24 font, right? You know, because it's a big if, right? We, we know these things, you know, but are we going to actually do them? You know, life group last week, there was a question where we say, hey, you know, God has commanded us to love our family, our church family, and those we live with, our relatives. And it said, using the definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, what are some ways that you will pour love into your family in the church and at home in the coming weeks? Be specific, right? Now, did you do that? Yeah. I mean, last week we talked about it. Are, are you thinking of ways that you can pour your love into people in your home? Did you write them a note or something? Tell you what, if you, you know, for the church family, if you have our church app, you go on our church app, right? Open up the directory, punch on A or B or C, whatever name pops up, and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot them a text. I'm just encourage them. You know? If you don't know them, say, hey, you know what, I, I, I haven't met you yet, but I want you to know I love you, I'm praying for you, hope you have a great week. You know? There's simple ways that we need to be practical at loving our neighbor. And listen, you be the initiator. You be the initiator, right? You take the lead. You be like Jesus. We got to get over this childish nonsense, right? Well, I'll, still, I'll stop being self-seeking when they stop being self-seeking. I'll start forgiving when they start forgiving. No, you be the lead. You be like Jesus. You make a difference. Jesus has commanded you to love your neighbor, to love where you are. And that definitely includes your family. I mean, just imagine the difference it would make, right? If we got better at loving our biological family and we got better at loving our church family, imagine the difference. I mean, do you think that would be a good thing? 
I mean, anybody think good things will happen? You think God would be pleased? Would God want to pour out his blessings? Well, well, the next circle on that sheet is to love where you are, is to love where you work. And, and students, when I, when I say work, I, I want you to be thinking about where you attend school. Love where you work. And, and you got to be careful how you, how you say that. You want to put the emphasis on the right word, right? Or it means something totally different. You know, it's not, it's not love where you work, it's love where you work. Because many of you, and I've read studies on it, don't like your jobs. Some studies say that 50 to 80% of Americans don't like your jobs. Okay, a, a little um, crowd participation to get, get us rolling here. By a show of hands, how many of you at least had one moment in the last week at school or at work when you wanted to quit? Just show of hands. If you just had one moment, we're like, hey, I'm just done, right? Okay. And now, if you didn't have one of those moments, one's coming, right? You know, either this week or soon thereafter. Now, now I did some research this week of, of like worst jobs out there, you know, and, 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 and so I came up with my top seven worst jobs as a way of giving us some perspective about our actual job. Here's the first one, animal food taste tester, right? It's serious. Before Fido or Fluffy, the cat ever eats food, a human being has to eat it for texture, taste, and consistency. I really meant to stick my hand in my dog food on the way out of my garage just to chew on one of those little nuggets to say I did it, but I conveniently forgot, all right? Uh, here's the next. Number, coming to number six is the roadkill remover, right? You know, think, really think about that. You know, maggots, smell, blood, nasty. Here's, here's one right here. I don't know if this is the right name for this. This is the... Uh, I call the next one the North Korean soldier target practice holder, right? How would you like that job, right? All right, I hope you guys aim and well. I mean, dude, that guy's not looking excited. That's not a good job. Coming at number four is mosquito bite researcher, right? They seriously, just like malaria, they stick their hand in there. And sometimes, maybe like 3,000 bites. That is not a good time. Coming at number three, a very strong one here, is the porta potty cleaner, right? I mean, look at that guy. He's like, oh, gosh, that is bad, you know. And, and, and after emptying it, they got to spray down all the surfaces and just imagine all the splash back coming at him, right? And they could clean up to 60 per day. A strong number two is the armpit sniffer, right? Real job, like 75K a year, right? You know, because they got to test deodorant. How long does it last? You know, how bad? And do people sweat more? And they, they, they will stick their nose at 60 armpits, right, an hour. That's 480 armpits a day, you know. Uh, and I don't care if they give me a white coat to do that. I don't know if I still want to do that. That is nasty, nasty. And, and this one is just sad, you know, um, sewage line cleaner in India. You know, I mean, I mean, he's actually doing that, and there's no protection. And, you know, up to $5 a day. Uh, you get paid doing that. But hey, someone has to do the job, right? Have you ever stopped to think about who made the chair you're sitting on, the shoes you're wearing, the bar of soap you used this morning, or the plug at the end of your Keurig machine that helped you to be so awake and attentive this morning? Some of you look like you need a new plug, right? <laughs> um, you see, one of the things that makes our country so mind-blowingly exceptional is the interconnectedness of our work. 
I mean, not one of us in a 40-hour work week could come even close to producing all the goods and services we use each week. We're dependent on each other. I'm dependent on you. You're dependent on me. Together, we are interdependent. So take a moment to turn to your person to your right and left and tell them, you're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. And no one break out in Moana song, right? Okay. A guy named uh, Lester DaCosta wrote, imagine that everyone quits working right now. What would happen? Civilized life quickly melts away. Food vanishes from the shelf. Gas dries up at the pump. Streets are no longer patrolled. Communication and transportation services end. Utilities go dead. Those who survive at all are soon huddled around campfires, sleeping in caves, clothed in raw animal hides. The difference between a cave and a culture is work. There may be no better way to love your neighbor, whether you're writing parking tickets, software, or a book, than to simply do your work. Yes, our work, your work matters. But it's not always easy to do or to keep the proper perspective, right? By show of hands, how many people out here kind of look forward to Friday every week? Looking forward to Friday, okay? Okay, how many just can't wait for Monday morning, right? Okay, okay. hey, all right, we got, got a couple, right? You know, most of us dread Monday and we dream of Friday. A study was done by Princeton University that found that, that 82% of Americans don't like Monday. Why? Because that's when you go back to work or school. Interestingly, most heart attacks are on Monday. Most suicides are on Monday. So the question is, how do we move from a mindset of take this job and shove it to take this job and love it? How do we get to the place, workers and students, where we look forward to Monday as much as we look forward to Friday? Now, I'm not going to try to convince you to like your job. If you like your job, that's a bonus. The message is not love where you work. The message is love where you work. See, the goal of this conversation is for you, no matter what you do for a living, Monday through Friday, to see that God has placed you there and that he he wants you to show his love to the people in your workplace or your classroom, even those who are difficult to love. Remember, God does not love you because you're easy to love. He loves you because you need to be loved. I mean, just imagine the impact that we could have in our community if this next week where we work and where we go to school, if we would just be strategic and intentional at loving the people that God puts in our path. Love is patient, love is kind, and all that other good stuff there. I mean, it would dramatically change every one of those environments for the better. Get it? Good. Okay, so here's what I want to do. In our time remaining, I want to give you three things to keep in mind that will help you love where you are, your work, or your school. Number one, your real boss is the Lord. And that's exactly the point that Paul is trying to get across in Colossians chapter 3. And in these verses, Paul is addressing slaves. But the principle also applies to the employer-employee relationship, to the student-teacher relationship. In fact, in the first century, slavery was much different than the shameful, horrific slavery that we had in our nation pre-Civil War. Back in the first century, education was greatly encouraged for slaves. Slaves could own property. Sometimes people would sell themselves into slavery because they would get a better life. 
In the first century, you had slaves who were doctors and teachers and writers and accountants. So it would resemble more of the workplace as we know it. Now, that's not to say that there wasn't abuse because there was, but generally speaking, it was kind of a workplace environment. So Paul says to them and to us, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And that's the message, right? That if we're going to be this funnel of God's love in the workplace, then we've got to begin with an understanding that Jesus is who we're working for. And that no matter what your job is, or what my job is, we are ultimately on assignment from God, the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one that put us there. Understand, you've been put there by God, and he wants you to make a difference for his kingdom, and he wants you to show his glory and to share his love. And so Paul says, remember, it's Jesus that you're working for. And then he gives us a few implications of what that should look like. You see, if Jesus is the one you're working for, then, you know, you're not, you're not going to just do your best work when the boss is watching, right? But you're going to do your best work all the time. Because you know that God is, he's always watching. And it also means that your boss is kind of irrelevant. He's kind of taken out of the equation. You see, a lot of us, I think that we can justify, you know, hating our jobs, doing poorly at work, just killing time at school or whatever, because we think our teachers or our boss, uh, well, we, we, we just don't like them. You know, a study was done about people who said they didn't like their boss, and they're asked, hey, why don't you like your boss? The number one answer, I don't like my boss because my boss tells me what to do. <laughs> like, that's their job, right? But we have this problem, right, with authority. And maybe you could give me example and example after example why your boss or your teacher or your whatever is not a likable person. You might say, well, my boss, you know, you know, you know they make unreasonable demands. They're, 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 they play favors. My, my boss is a micromanager. Um, my boss disrespects me a lot of times and just seems to put me down. He's just not a nice person. So, you know, we have all these things about our bosses that wear us out and make it difficult and challenging. And, and that, that's just true. And so Paul says, but look, you work for Jesus. You work for Jesus. And, and if you work for Jesus, then that's a totally different motivation. Because you're going to do it, Paul says, you're going to work that job with all your heart. You see, the implication here is that if you work for Jesus, if that's who you're doing your work for, you're going to give it all you got all the time. You're going to do your best. Amen? Amen. Again, think of the incredible testimony we would have as believers in the workplace, in the classroom, if we approach work this way. I mean, think about it. I mean, it, it would go a long way, wouldn't it? In making God look good? Because I got to tell you, in the workplace and at school, sometimes, you know, believe, Jesus followers make God look anything but good, right? Make him look bad, like an idiot, like a hypocrite. Man, why would I want to go to your church, man? Man, you're mean and nasty. 
And if that's what your God does for you, why would I even want to go there, right? But imagine if we flipped that, right? And we turned that around and we lived out our faith and said, man, I'm working for Jesus. I'm going to school for Jesus. The second thing to keep in mind that'll help you love where you are is that your workplace can become your worship space. Because work is just kind of who God is. I mean, when you open up the Bible, begin to God's story, what do you see God do? You see God, God is working. Then the Lord looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. We will never see our work as good until we see our work as worship. You will never see your work as good till you see your work as worship. Check out what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. And understand, going to work and going to school is a huge part of your life. In fact, by the time you're 65, on average, you would have spent about 27,360 hours in school, not counting college, and 97,760 hours at work. That's 125,120 hours. That's a lot of time. And it represents a very significant part of your life. Therefore... You need to be more intentional about that time. I mean, you don't want to just simply punch the clock, right? Or sit and wait for the bell to ring. Instead, you should want to have God use you to make a difference. To become a funnel that pours out his kind of love. Where you work and where you attend school. Love is patient. Love is kind. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. I understand, as Jesus followers, we should be the best employees and the best employers, because we see our work as an act of worship. As Jesus followers, we should be the best employees and the best employers, because we see our work as an act of worship. So we should show up on time. We should have a great attitude. We should do our very best, right? Uh, we, we should show respect to everybody, right? We should try to be a servant to everybody. Uh, we should refuse to join the ranks of the whiners, the complainers, and the gossipers. And we should demonstrate and become a funnel that pours out the love of God in our workplace. Again, love's a verb, Right? So how, how are you going to do it this week, right? How are you going to pour out God's love? Love is patient, love is kind, not self-seeking. And, and students who follow Jesus should be the best students in the school, right? I mean, they should turn in the best work. They should be the most attentive and the most, respect, the most respectful students in the entire school, right? I mean, they should look for ways to build others up. Just like employers should say, man, oh, you're a Christian? My goodness, 
You got that second interview, right? And every teacher said, oh my gosh, it's going to be a great year. I have a bunch of Christian students. I have a bunch of Jesus followers in my class. It's going to be a great year. Every bus driver, right? Man, I love the Christians on my bus. They're so friendly. They're so respectful, right? The best students. You should be the students that look for those who are on the outside, right? You know, school's tough enough as it is. But for some kids, it's brutal every day, right? It's eight hours of bullying, being alone, and you can't wait to get back home. What if you said, hey, I'm going to find one of those students, and guess what? I'm going to sit next to them. I'm going to become their friend. I think God would be extremely pleased. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Listen, when you do that, Listen, when you do that, when you see your workplace as a worship space, it will change that environment and fulfill a much higher purpose than the job you're actually doing. For example, I want to introduce you to a lady named Linda Wilson Allen. She drives bus number 45 in San Francisco, California. Uh, There was a front page article about her in the San Francisco Chronicle a few years back. The article was written by a reporter who had rode her bus for 20 years because he was blown away about how she approached her job and approached life. You see, Linda doesn't just drive a bus. She loves the people who ride her bus. She learns their names and waits for them if they're late and then makes up time later on her route. And, and that picture with her, the lady in the picture is a lady named Ivy, and Ivy's in her 80s. And if Ivy's ever carrying a bunch of groceries she can't make it up into the bus with, and guess what Linda does? She gets out of her bus seats and she helps her get into the bus. And, and, and she does it every time. So Ivy will let other buses pass by because she wants to ride Linda's bus. Uh, one time, Linda saw a woman named Tanya who was under a bus shelter. And she could tell that Tanya was new to the, Tanya was new to the area, that she was lost. It was almost Thanksgiving. So Linda says, hey, you're out here all by yourself. You don't know anybody. Come over to my house for Thanksgiving and kick it with me and the kids. And now they're friends. And Linda has built such a community of love on that bus that passengers offered her their, vaca- her, her, their vacation homes. They, they, they bring her potted plants and flower bouquets. And when they found out that she likes to wear scarves to accessorize her uniform, they started to bring them to her as presents. Now think about how thankless driving a bus can be in a large city. Cranky passengers, engine breakdowns, traffic jams, gum on the seats. How does she keep and have this attitude? The article said this. Her mood is set at 2.30 a.m. when she gets down on her knees to pray for 30 minutes. There's a lot to talk about the Lord, she said. And every time she gets to the end of the line, she always says, that's all. I love you. Take care. Question, have you ever had a bus driver tell you they love you? (laughs) I mean, sometimes people wonder, hey, where can I find the kingdom? Where can, I, where can I find the church? I'll tell you where. You can find it on the number 45 bus riding through the streets of San Francisco. Yes, Linda loves where she works. Her, 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 her workplace has become a worship space, and God is filling that space with his love and with his glory. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Question, what if tomorrow morning, you know, the dreaded Monday morning, uh, 
What if when you wake up and head off to work or to school, you said to yourself, awesome, it is time for me to go and worship my God. I mean, even if your boss is mean and cranky, even if your coworkers are incompetent and they, all they do is grumble, complain, and gossip, even if you don't get a lot of notice or appreciation, but what if you said, hey, I, I don't really like my job, I don't really like going to school, but I'm going to make my workplace my worship space, and I'm going to be a funnel of God to this world. I mean, do you think good things would happen? Do you think that some workplaces and classrooms would be turned into bus number 45? I think so. Jesus says you need to love where you work. And things keep in mind is your real boss is Jesus, and your work, workplace can be your worship space, and finally, your opportunity is real, so seize it. You see, there are countless people in our world who will never consider going to church on a Sunday morning. I mean, Sunday's the day to go to the lake, work in the yard, wash the car, clean the house, sleep in. Besides, most people in our culture think that when it comes to church, been there, done that, boring, and irrelevant. Okay, so how then is God's message of love and redemption ever going to reach them? Well, God has a plan. It's an awesome plan. It's an old plan. In fact, we've been around for thousands of years. Well, we saw that plan in the opening pages of Isaiah chapter 6. Remember, the nation is going through a difficult and uncertain time, and God is still on his throne. He's seated. He has total control. He sees the pain and the hurt and disappointment among his people, and he wants them to know that he's still there and that he cares and that he loves them. And so God the Father, God the Son says, who will go for us? Who can we send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. So how are these people in our world who are lost, confused, lonely, doubting, hurting, who like the people in Isaiah chapter 6, when King Uzziah died, you know, they're hurting, they're unsure, they're afraid, they don't know what's next. How are they going to hear? How are people in our world going to hear? How are the people in... Albemarle High School and, you know, William Monroe and UVA Hospital and NGIC and various places are going to hear the awesome news of renewal, refreshing, restoration in Christ. Well, God has a plan, right? Five days a week, eight hours a day, God has his people. Those who love him, who know him, been saved by him, have their lives changed by him. God has his people going out to them. I mean, you're working beside them, right? You're sitting in class with them. They're working for you, or you're working for them, or you're being taught by them. Yes, God has his personal representatives going out to nearly every place in this world. And listen, when those people, when you, when we get better at loving our neighbor, when we really begin to love where we are, to love where we work or go to school, good things, God things will happen. I mean, buses and classrooms and and restaurants and hospitals and offices and businesses will all be turned into worship spaces, a place where God's love is poured out and his glory fills up the place. So the question is, how did you seize this opportunity that's right before you? Well, right after telling the church in Colossae about how the Lord's a boss, he says the following. This is how we seize the opportunity that's before you. So tune in, we're about done, but listen up. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. So that's where we want to start. That's the challenge, right? What would happen tomorrow if you went to work or to school and, and you just decided you're going to devote yourself to praying? 
that you're going to pray for your coworkers, you're going to pray for your boss, you're going to pray for your classmates, you're going to pray for your teachers. So would you do this? Would you just get a name in your head right now? I mean, maybe it's the person that works down the hall from you, the cubicle next to you. Now, students, maybe it's that person who sits to your right in third period. And would you just get that name and would you circle that name? And if you're retired or, or, or you don't work outside the home, then just think about somebody you know that you're going to interact with tomorrow. And just pray. Devote yourself to pray. Pray for that person. Pray that God will help you show that person his love. Next, he says that we need to be watchful. The phrase is the idea of paying attention, of being alert, that you're not just there, but you're present. You're not just punching the clock. You're not just waiting for the bell to ring, but, but, you're, but you're paying attention to those around you. Wait a minute. Joe looks a little down today. And he, he's never like that. He never comes into work looking that way. Man, Betty, I don't know what's up with her. You know, you're paying attention. Something is going on. And then you look for an opportunity, right? You're paying attention to those around you. Then he says, and being thankful. And listen, that's just the attitude and the general spirit that we're to have that we should be known for. That we're, that not, just, that we're not just kind of these generally annoyed and irritated for no reason kind of people. But that we have the joy of Christ in us. We have the love of Christ in us. We're grateful. We're thankful for his grace constantly. And then Paul says this, and pray for us too that God may open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul says, hey, I know you don't like your job right now, but guess what? I'm in prison, right? You don't like where you are, but guess where God put me? God put me in prison. That's where I am. That's where he has me right now. I'm not going to waste the time. I'm going to use the time. I'm going to redeem this time for God. And you may not like your job. You may not like your school, but God has you there and use it for him. Use it for his glory and just see what he can do. And I love what Paul prays. He doesn't pray. I'd be praying, pray that you get me out of this sucker quick, right? That's what I'd probably be praying. That's what he prays. He says, hey, I got this opportunity. Hey, pray that I'll be able to share the message of Christ with them. You know, maybe that's a great prayer for you, right? Hey, pray that when I go to work, to school, that I'll be able to talk to people about Jesus in a way that they can understand. And he says, be wise in how you, you act around those he says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. You know, we've got to be wise. You've got to think ahead, right? I mean, like, how can you actually begin to show love in your workplace? What do you do? I mean, you start keeping some cards in your desk that you can write out and carry some cards real quick, you know? You know, take someone out to lunch. I mean, just be creative. You're smart people. But how can you tangibly love the people that you work with and, and, and go to school with? Then Paul says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, understand, the way you talk can do a lot at the workplace and at school to communicate the love of Christ. Question, is your conversation full of grace or full of gossip? Is it full of grace or full of criticism? Is it full of grace or is it full of complaining? And so we filter our words and and we understand that the tone we use and the words we choose can go a long way to communicate the love of Christ. We need to seize the opportunity, right? I mean, you guys this week are going to have countless opportunities, right? Countless. You need to seize them. Seize them this week. Seize them next week. Seize them 
week after week. Sees them like Linda Willis Allen does. Sees it every day. And you pray. You pay attention. You be thankful. Be wise. And you speak gracefully. See, God wants us. Man, and God's so excited. I mean, seriously, like, if, if, if you guys leave here today and actually do this stuff, oh, my goodness, right? Some serious, awesome sauce will be flowing everywhere, right? Yeah, it'll be incredible. I mean, if you go to school and start acting like Jesus and loving Jesus, right? If you go to work and do that and start loving acting like Jesus, I mean, it's going to be absolutely amazing. God is looking where you work and where you live and where you go to school, and he wants people to know about him, and he said, who will go? And I pray that you will say, hey, here I am. You don't have to send me because I'm already there. <laughs> you done sent me. And now I'm going to start using it for you and for your glory. Amen? Hey, would you guys stand and pray with me? Father God, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your presence. And God, the opportunity you give us. And Lord, I, I, I pray that we feel enough guilt to get us to do something, but not a guilt to paralyze us, right? God, I pray for every student in this room that, that they'll see Monday through Friday as an opportunity to worship, to work for Jesus, to seize the opportunity to pour out your love on people. And I pray for every person that's going to be heading to various places of employment this week, or maybe they got people that work under them. And God, I pray that people begin to notice a difference in us. I pray that we can create bus number 45 environments all over our community for your honor and for your glory. Help us, Jesus. Amen.